0: We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I know Mark's heart was to be here tonight, and he hates that he's missing it. He loves Christmas Eve service. He loves candlelight service. And so I know that he's probably watching on Facebook. He sent me a text saying I will do just fine. I, on the other hand, don't know if you noticed, but was shaking just a little bit when I lit the Advent candle a while ago. But I thank you guys for being gracious and allowing me this chance to share Mark's words and thoughts with you this evening. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, still our hearts from this busy time. Calm our minds. Let us reflect on you, Lord, and on what this day truly means. More than the presence the wrapping, the baking, the food. But Lord, on the most precious gift we could have ever received, your Son. Father, we know your word to be all truth. Let it speak to us now. Give me the words that are needed for your people. For we ask all things in thy Son's name. Amen. When I read tonight's text, the first things that popped in my mind we're not the normal carols of the season. What sprang to mind were two of the definitive bands of my generation, Smashing Pumpkins and R.E.M. The title of Smashing Pumpkins' third album was Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And though spelled differently, I cannot escape that quite possibly that was what Joseph and Mary were feeling for large portions of our text. Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. Likewise, the overwhelming nature of the situation, despite all of the angelic encouragements, quite possibly could have caused them to consider singing with R.E.M. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight, losing my religion. In other words, in true Southern fashion, they are at their wit's end. And how could they not be? The text is riddled with their problems if we divorce it all from the Christmas sanitizing. Look with me at Luke 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Mary and Joseph. First they have to be reminded that they are not in control of their own affairs. Here is a woman nine months pregnant, and because of the whims of a faraway emperor who isn't even Jewish, they have to travel 90 miles from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem. The decrees of the Romans were absolute, and their dealing with any opposition was swift and definitive. Joseph and Mary could not say, catch me next time. Secondly, the trip itself was arduous, to say the least. If we hold that it was taken at this time of year, the weather was likely wet and cold and miserable. You guys probably know a little bit of what that feels like after this week. It would not have been taken on the latest model of donkey. They would have walked. The route was a continuous trek up and down the mountains and hills. And we recall from a story that their as yet unborn son would tell years later that these mountain passes were perfect hiding places for robbers and thieves to jump out at any time. Can you imagine a woman walking nine months pregnant with all of that going on? The emotional toll on this young couple of having to be on guard for any eventuality had to have been monstrous. What they needed was love. To be sure, they will find some when they arrive in Bethlehem. After all, it is Joseph's hometown. It should be filled with relatives because they too have had to answer the summons of Augustus. And hospitality is a centerpiece of their culture. And yet there is no greeting. No greeting like when Mary received when she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. There is simply the continuous refrain of no vacancy. Sorry, we don't have room. I wish you would have told us you were coming. We let your dad's third cousin, you remember cousin jehoiakin take the guest room. The nagging question must exist in the back of Joseph and Mary's mind. Do they really lack room? Or is this their passive-aggressive response to the fact that they don't believe in the divine conception of Mary's? They question our righteousness, our faith, our veracity. Is this how it's going to be from now on? Continuously shunned and ostracized, always lacking simply because we did the right thing. I can imagine the sense of frustration that is growing in Joseph. How just one more thing might push him over the edge. They just need to register and get back to Nazareth before the baby comes. Everything will be fine once they're back in Nazareth. And then it happens. Mary cries out. The contractions hit. Her water breaks. There will be no escape back to Nazareth. The baby is coming. Now. And where is he to be born? In that oh so sanitary location known as a stable. Imagine the mental anguish this must be inflicting to experience childbirth. Which was a dicey thing back then far from home in a stable amongst the stable manure. And yes, as it is late on Christmas Eve, the newborn section at Bethlehem's Target was closed. And so what do they have to wrap this tiny little baby in but strips of cloth? The strips of cloth all travelers carried with them back then so that if they should perish on a journey, they would have something to be buried in because there was no such thing as a carrier service for funeral homes. The Mosaic law was interpreted to require burial within 24 hours. A 90-mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem couldn't be accomplished in that amount of time. Contingencies must be made. And so here is the newborn, Jesus, wrapped in the shrouds of death. Just recounting the story makes me feel sorry for Joseph and Mary. We make them out to be superheroes, but they were just like us. Melancholy and infinite sadness had to be creeping as they sat in the corner trying to stay warm and come to terms with being new parents. And who is to blame for this situation? Well, God is the reason they are in this position. And this does not seem like the treatment those who've been tasked with birthing and raising the Messiah should have to endure. Was it all an illusion? Has God forgotten them? While we're left to ponder this, though, notice in Luke the scene shifts. Now we sit with some more outcasts of society, shepherds. Ritually unclean, continuously because of their profession outside of the city, keeping watch against thieves as well, thieves of both the human and the animal variety. Does God remember them? Does God remember Israel and the promises of Messiah they might be discussing amongst themselves? There are rumors about an old priest having a son who was to be their generation's Elijah. Could it be true? How long must they remain under Roman oppression? Given how these Romans are acting, is God even in control anymore? Beloved, you too may be in the same position tonight. Has God forgotten? The simple answer is no. God sends us continual reminders that he has not forgotten, that yes, he is continuously spinning toward the final fulfillment of his plans, that all peoples of the world may experience a relationship with him, And know his love, his grace, and his glory. To the shepherds he sent a solitary angel who proclaimed, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger followed quickly by an angelic host saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's a couple of things to point out here. First these shepherds would I suspect get caught up on the fact that they would not be hearing this message if God was not pleased with them. Please seems to be a pretty tame translation though. God is delighted with them, is much better attuned to the scene. Secondly, the original language points us to the fact that these angelic hosts repeated this. It isn't a one and done thing. They are continuously here saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. They are being exhorted and encouraged to hear again and again that God delights in them— and wants to bring them peace, wholeness. Surely this helps to know that God has not forgotten. But what about the control part? I'm glad you asked. Let us not miss. The scripture says angelic host. This is a term used throughout scripture to describe angel armies. These aren't just a few. There is are whole platoons, battalions of angels appearing in the night sky. These angel armies who had appeared and done miraculous things throughout Israel's history were still there and present. They were the instrument through which God said, I'm in control. Not old Gus over there in Rome, but me. Notice also that the shepherds are told to go to Bethlehem and see for themselves. And who do they encounter when they get there? A crying baby. A frazzled father and an exhausted mother who has forgotten the last words of her song that God had remembered Israel. But you better believe that those shepherds, they don't know, are a wonderful affirmation an affirmation that they aren't crazy. They didn't make this up. God is with them. God has not forgotten, God is in control. It's hard to take in all the scripture tells us. When it states that Mary pondered these things in her heart, the word ponder means to turn over in your mind. Mary believes, she is affirmed, but she still has some questions. This is the life of faith. It isn't having all the answers, it's taking the next step, a step established in the firm and certain knowledge that God has not forgotten you and that he is in control. It's why Mary's son would have a final meal with his friends before he was to find himself in another borrowed cave wearing strips of cloth and say to them, eat and drink and be affirmed and remember. Remember me. Remember that God has not forgotten you. He has rescued you. Remember that God has placed all your worries, all your cares, all your concerns on the cross and defeated them. He is in control. Christmas is not about angelic choirs singing melodic melodies to cause us to slumber, it's about angelic armies parading in victory. It's not about sanitized images of glowing parents and a baby not crying. It's about the sovereign God of the universe coming into our messiness and finding a home with us amongst the stable manure and saying to our disquieted and frazzled souls, I am here. It's going to be okay. Christmas is not about the amount of gifts you are given. It's about remembering that God delights and is overjoyed with you. It's not about who is bringing the turkey or the ham to Christmas dinner tomorrow. It's about the fact that tonight, this oh so holiest of nights, bread and wine have been laid before us at a table set by the Lord himself. And there is room for us all to come and sit and dine with him on these symbols of his grace and love. It's about remembering he is not forgotten. So come, let us feast and be merry. Let us celebrate and sing the songs of victory that our God reigns. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April, 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.